Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Empoli review episode. I know it's a bit later than usual, but this is the first time, I think, since the international break that we don't have a midweek fixture, so I give myself an extra day off. I'm joined by a guest to help me with this review. He's certainly no stranger to the podcast. Vincenzo Bertillo, how are you? I'm great, Joe. Happy to be back on the show and uh, looking forward to getting into some good discussions. Absolutely, and it's always a pleasure to have you on. All right, so let's talk about the game on Sunday against Empoli. We lost 1-0 on a goal by Patrick Cutrone, which was, I don't even know why he got credit for that goal, because it was one of the most strange goals you're ever going to see. We'll come back to that goal in just a second. But as usual, I always want to start with just some general thoughts, feelings on the match overall. I think you could look at this match in a number of different ways. So I'm curious to know what you thought of this performance as a whole. Oh, it's it's hard to know where to begin, really, because... It was a frustrating performance, and it was a game which, after the first few minutes, you could kind of see it coming. You know, we've had these types of games before with Napoli, and a lot of people have been saying how this year, you know, we have a stronger mentality and we can overcome and win these games where we don't look like we would win in the past. But at the end of the day, sometimes these games happen. We had a a close offside call, a very unlucky goal scored against us. But what it really comes down to, I think, is when we or any team fails to control the midfield, then you're taking a big risk. And I thought Empoli played much better as a team unit than we did, where we were more relying on individuals and our midfield was not controlling the game nearly to the extent that we normally do. And whenever you lack control, then there's an element of chance which enters the game far more of a higher percentage of chance than normally. And and 
when you're up to chance, then sometimes you get the bad uh, end of the stick, so to speak. Yeah, there's quite a few things I want to talk about. I mean, we'll get into why we lost this match, but first and foremost, this was a loss, right? Like technically it was a loss against a newly promoted club. Now I hesitate to say that because, you know, a loss to a newly promoted club suggests that Empoli are a weak opponent when in fact they're very good. And in truth, they were very good in this match. In my preview, I mentioned how they would be the more rested side, having not played in midweek while we played against Leicester City. They came into this match with almost no injuries, which could well be because they only play once a week. We all know how many players we were missing, so I don't need to really list them off again, though I will touch on that a bit later. And then Andrea Zoli, I find, is similar to Vincenzo Italiano in that he likes to rotate his squad, which is useful for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that it keeps his players even more fresh. So they're not only just resting or playing once a week, which means they're well-rested, but some players are not even playing once a week. Like a guy like Sebastiano Luperto, ex-Napoli player who I actually thought had a really strong performance for Empoli in this match, he was fully charged because he had only come off the bench in Empoli's previous match, which was a 3-1 win over Udinese. So you put all of that together and you have a team that has a lot of energy and enough energy to press Napoli for the full 90 minutes of this match. As you kind of alluded to, we could see the signs in the first half that we were really struggling to play out of that press. We were struggling to control that midfield. And I think Empoli took advantage of their pace, not just in pressing us in the defensive phase, but also in the attacking phase. And they seem to be looking for that long ball over the top to Cutrone or Pinamonti, who will easily outrun Juan Jesus and even Amir Rachmani. I mean, Rachmani was very good, but he's not the quickest defender. He's a center back, right? So that was something that Andrea Zoli picked up on. He was looking for that long ball. So you just have to give Empoli credit as well for the way they played. But this was a match where you alluded to this as well, where nothing seemed to be going our way. We had Almas hit the bar in the first half. We had Patania hit the upright in the second half. We had the Juan Jesus goal that was disallowed for offside, which was clearly the correct decision. No one's arguing about that. And then, of course, we had that crazy goal that we conceded. So that's a good segue to talk about the goal. What did you make of that whole situation? Chaos, pinball machine, bad luck. You know, if you if Napoli didn't have bad luck, we'd have no luck at all. I mean, just unbelievable to concede a goal like that. I mean, that's the only way Cutrone would ever score against us is just without knowing it himself. Uh, you know, I that think might it was, be the only way he scores. I think it was Angisa who tried to clear the ball, if I'm not mistaken, with a header and then went off the back of Cutrone's head into the net. I mean, when you concede a goal like that, you just have to tell yourself it was meant to be. And it's just one of those things. But I think it was emblematic of the game as a whole. And I think that um, he, he's a great coach. You know, like you said, he rotates his team. They, they were playing uh, almost... Uh, Sorry-esque uh, football at times, uh, you know, with lesser uh, players, but that type of system, I find uh, he's from that school and, you know, th- they came at us. They had no fear. I think they knew it was a weak time and he probably told his guys like, look, if you're ever going to win some points against Napoli at home, you know, in their stadium, today is the day. Look at who's missing. We don't have anything to fear. We know the way we play. We're rested. And, and they came in and they clearly didn't have that fear factor that I think we instill in a lot of teams when we have a our main guys all healthy and you see Fabian, Angisa, Osim and all these guys, there's a fear factor that a lot of these teams have. And I don't think they had that fear factor. They were coming at us. And sometimes, you know, when these small teams come at you, 
you're not expecting that. And like you said, we had difficulty playing out from the back and the goal was just something that was a, a side effect of the way we played the whole game. Yeah, I think that's a great point that we often don't think about with matches like this where we have everything to lose and the opponent has nothing to lose, right? They're coming into this match probably expecting to lose. So that takes a lot of pressure off of the players. At the risk of overanalyzing what was clearly a very fluky goal, I have two thoughts on this. The first is that this was the second goal in our last five Serie A matches where we conceded a goal from a corner kick taken to the near post. Uh, The first one was the goal that Perisic scored for Inter. I wouldn't go so far as to say that that's an issue just yet. Twice is just a coincidence. If it happens again, we'll call that a trend. So for now, I'll say let's just keep an eye on that, you know, are defending the near post on corner kicks. My second point is that we looked really out of sorts in the buildup to that corner kick. The play started with a pass from Unas to Elmas, and I thought the pass was fine, but Elmas seemed just a little bit slow to react for whatever reason. Maybe he just lost focus for half a second or, or whatever it was. And the way Empoli were pressing us, they immediately broke on the counter then Elmas chased the ball, which pulled him to the other side of the pitch. And at the same time, Angisa got caught higher up the pitch. And you can see from how he was running that Angisa was definitely not at full fitness, right? And that left a huge gap on the other side of the field for Zerkovsky to attack. He took a shot that takes a slight deflection off Rachmani to go out for the corner kick, and then they score on that corner kick. So that whole sequence started with Unas and Elmas just not being on the same page, which was unfortunate because... We were actually all over Empoli at that point. I mentioned that Empoli were obviously more well-rested than us. Do you think that playing these midweek fixtures finally caught up to us here? Absolutely. I mean, I don't see how you could argue otherwise, especially considering we had a must-win game, the pressure was on us, and and we, we got over that hump despite some difficulty. But then to replicate that same type of performance a few days later with the kind of injuries and absences we have right now, I'm not making any excuse for the team, but at the same time, had we had all week to rest and only focus on the Empley game, uh, I have a strong uh, confidence that it would have been a different outcome. I agree. I think we've played at least, well, we have played six games more than them, which is the six Europa League group stage matches. Now with a healthy squad, that wouldn't be an issue at all. But with all the injuries, we look like we had some heavy legs out there. Nine of the 11 starters in this match started against Leicester City. The only players that we rotated were David Ospina, who started in goal over Alex Meret, and then Dries Mertens, who started over Patania at striker. And then even our substitutes, as you know, I mentioned Angisa. We'll talk more about Insignia in a little bit, but he also did not look 100%. I thought Politano actually looked really good off the bench, but Spalletti has talked about how his recovery from COVID has been slow as well, so maybe his minutes were limited. So I know a lot of people don't want to hear the excuses, But this result, I don't think, was as crazy as some people might think it was. That'll do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about Napoli's approach to this match, and we'll look at some individual performances. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. So I want to talk about Napoli's attack next. We dominated just about every offensive category in this match. The most lopsided stat was shot attempts. We had 30 compared to Empoli's 12. 11 of those shots were blocked, which is also something we have to give Empoli a lot of credit for. They made a lot of important blocks in this match. 
But of those 30 shots, only six of them hit the target. Then Vicario made some pretty big saves. So if you do the math, that means we had 12 shots missed the target. We score a lot of goals from outside of the area, which is great when it works. But Vincenzo, do you think that maybe we've become a little too dependent on scoring from these wonder strikes? Absolutely. I think that, you know, there are a few players who I would encourage to do the wonder strikes and to shoot from outside the box whenever they feel fit. You know, case in point, Fabian, who's maybe the best in one of the best in the world at that, but he wasn't on the field and not everybody is Fabian on this team. So we can't just have all of our chances come from outside the box. It's a low percentage game. We know that, you know, so 30 shots and no goals is quite frankly, ridiculous in my opinion. And I think that if we were to just play the percentage game, take some more shots from within the box, you know, even I can score from within the box. Anyone can score from within the box. So I would encourage, especially in difficult times when we're not at our best, you're almost shooting yourself in the foot trying to get a wonder strike like that. You know, when the game's not going your way and you're having bad luck, try keeping things simple is kind of my mentality. You know, go back to the basics and, you know, just get the ball in the net any way you can. Yeah, and it's not like Empoli play a low block. They play a very attack-minded game. They leave you a lot of space. And I said this in my preview as well, that you know this is the type of game where if Victor Osman was playing, he would have run rampant because there was so much space out there. We just didn't have the right people. We're not going to spend too much time talking about Chucky Lozano, but I, I think we could have used him a little bit better. There was one chance that he had it near the end of the first half where we actually played a, a ball. I think it was Di Lorenzo that played a pass sort of around the back line and Chucky was stopped. But I felt like we needed to do more of that to you know use his pace. I know I said I wouldn't talk too much about the injured players, but I want to run through our top goal scorers in all competition. Victor Osman has nine goals. He obviously wasn't in the squad. Zielinski has six. He left the match in the 22nd minute because he was having trouble breathing. I'll provide an update on his condition in just a second. Dries Mertens has six goals, and this was probably his worst performance since Osimhen got hurt, which is understandable. Everyone has an off day every once in a while. Almas has five goals. He hit the bar in the first half, and then he also had to be taken out with an injury late in the match. Insignia has five goals, but four of them have been from the penalty spot. So if we're looking at goals from open play, he's not actually one of our top goal scorers. And you mentioned Fabian Ruiz. He has five goals, all from outside of the box, as you noted. Um, And of course, he wasn't in the squad either. So if we're talking about goals from open play, three of our top five scorers were basically not available because Zielinski barely played. If Mertens is not at his best, we don't really have another goal scorer. Am I maybe being too lenient here? I think some people would say, yes, we were missing a lot of players, but these are the games where you need somebody else to step up. Well, of course, we need someone else to step up, and Mertens is usually our guy, but it was clear to me that this just wasn't his game from the outset. He just didn't look his usual sharp self, and he's been on fire lately, so you know, no hate on him. The guy's 34 years old. Not every game is going to be you know, unbelievable. He scored two, three goals like he has been, so that's fine. just so happened that his kind of weak game was – unfortunately, during a time where we don't really have anybody else uh, who puts the ball in the back of the net. And, you know, there's a lot of back and forth regarding Petania. Petania is, a, is an interesting player. He adds different characteristics. Uh, I'm glad that we have someone with those characteristics being, you know, hold up play, strength, uh, height, etc. But unfortunately, I, I, he only has that one goal for us. And he seems to be more of an assist man these days than, than a goal scorer. But what we really need when he's on the field is someone to just 
stick the ball in the net. I, nobody is asking him to be fast like Osimhen or be unbelievably, um, you know, tricky and and uh, brilliant like Mertens. But all all I really want is an old fashioned number nine who can sometimes, you know, kick with his foot, the sloppy goal in the back of the net, a couple headers here and there, and. I just feel like whenever he's on the pitch, even if he has a good game where he's contributing to the overall style of play, I have no confidence that he's ever going to score a goal. And that's a bit of a problem when Victor's out for a lot of the season and then you're basically relying on a 34-year-old to be your main goal scorer. It's, it's a tough situation to be in. Absolutely. I mean, he did hit the upright, so I think it took a slight deflection as well. I also feel like I'm trying to think maybe you you might know, but I don't feel like we created that many chances for Patania either. I mean, you talk about those true big number nine type of goals, their headers, they're fighting in the area. Going back to all these shots from outside the area, when you're doing so much of that, you're not putting in enough crosses. You're not playing necessarily to Patania's strength, which I think has always been the biggest issue it's yes he could probably do more you know he's had fitness issues and things like that but i don't necessarily feel like we're making it easier for him either the xg for this match was 1.8 for napoli to 0.6 for empoli so i think this was one of those matches where if you played it over and over again we'd probably come out with a lot more wins than losses it just so happens that this was one of those occasions where we didn't get the win of all of those injured players, I feel like Fabian was the player that we missed the most for a couple of reasons. And I'll get your thoughts on this as well. But I think it's quite clear that, as you suggested as well, that we had far less control in the midfield, not just in this match, but whenever he's not in the squad, I feel like we don't have as much control in the midfield. He's just so calm on the ball. And you know we've complained about his pace in the past, but sometimes it's good to have a player who can slow things down. You know. Empoli were just flying around and it would have been good to have that composure of Fabian to just hold the ball up, look around, play a pass back and, and let everybody get into position. We seem a lot more panicked in the midfield without him. I also felt like this was the type of match where Fabian would be able to score one of those vintage curling efforts from the top of the box. He scored his share of those goals and out of all the players we've been missing, I mean, maybe Osman's another one because of the lack of goal scoring, but I feel like Fabian was really, really missed in this match. I couldn't agree more, Joe. I was going to bring up the same thing. I think a lot of people don't seem to realize that Fabian is actually like our regista, even though he doesn't play in the traditional regista way. He is the brain of the team. He is the player who keeps the team ticking more so than any of any other player. And, you know, our first choice midfield is, you know, him, Angisa, and Zielinski. Now, obviously, Zielinski kind of keeps the attacking play ticking in that number 10 role. But Fabian dictates play from deep. And, of course, he's able to get forward. He has the long shots. He adds so much. And he's been incredibly consistent this year, whereas in the past years, he's had you know some games where he's brilliant and other games where he kind of goes missing. This year, he's stepped it up, the consistency. And to me, I think Spalletti has made him like basically his key guy. I think he's absolutely undroppable. And it was a huge miss because as you say, and as I was mentioning earlier, we lacked control in the midfield. And I think him and Angisa's the way they complement each other, it was sorely lacked. And I think that, you know, maybe in this game, more so than Koulibaly or Osimhen, you're right. I think in this game in particular, Fabian was the most missed player. For anyone who wants to read a bit more about Fabian's season, check out uh, Vito Doria's article on him uh, for Breaking the Lions. I think that published today. We had Vito on. He's a Sampdoria fan, and we had him on for the Sampdoria match. 
I want to talk about Lorenzo Insigne a little bit. He was the player who came on for Zielinski, which I'm sure was much earlier in the match than Spalletti or Domenichini would have liked to use him. He missed the Atalanta and the Leicester City matches with a calf problem, so he probably wasn't fully fit either. That said, I thought he was really, really poor. I think most papers gave him the lowest rating of any other player on our team. What did you think of Insigne's performance? I think with Insigne, it goes beyond this game. I think, you know, I've always been the stubborn one saying there's no way he's going to leave Napoli. And he's they're, they're just doing this public negotiation. He's not going anywhere. His heart is at the club. But now even I'm starting to have some doubts. You know, I'm hearing some pretty legit rumors in our, uh, you know, Napoli Club Toronto chat. I'm, I'm sure you're seeing that with the links to Toronto and, Now you're hearing about all these links to Tottenham, this and that. But at the end of the day, this is what I look at. Last year, I was adamant online and to anyone I spoke, Insigne was the best left winger in Europe last season. He had 19 goals, 11 assists. And he carried that form pretty well into the Euro, I thought. He maybe wasn't our standout player, but he was undroppable for Mancini. It's clear that there's a big drop-off from last season to this season from 19 goals, 11 assists to whatever he has this year. It's a lot less. Um, There has to be something more to it than purely physical at this point. I I believe that he's an emotional uh, player. Uh, Like most of us, Napolitans are very emotional. And him, we've seen Insigne's emotion get to him before. And I have to believe that the contract talks and this state of limbo that he is in right now has to be playing a part right now because, as you know, Joe, your mind is is 90% of it with these athletes. There's no way that he's lost his talent since last year. He's never been a particularly like fast player or anything like that. I don't think that even though he is on the wrong side of 30, I, I don't see him dropping it physically in any way. I think it's purely just if you go from 100% focus to even 95% focus, that could be the difference between scoring and not scoring. I agree. I think... He's one of the more mental players. I mean, we saw this last season as well, even though he had a very good season, or it might have been the season before where he, I think it was the season before where he missed the penalty against Juventus in the Supercopa, and he couldn't recover from that until he scored against Juventus in the next meeting against him, which was five or six matches later or whatever it was. So whether the contract negotiations are on his mind, it's hard to say because he's always maintained he's just focused on the field now. Yeah, maybe he's just saying the right things. That's sort of the pre-written answer to that question. But I do think also that he's the type of player that poor play snowballs and it, it, it encourages more poor play for him and it gets into his head and you see him, he's trying the Tiro Giro and it's not even coming close. I mean, he had one that hit the target, but Vicario, he caught too much of the target and Vicario stopped it. You know, you mentioned his age, his body's only going to become more prone to injury as he gets older. And I'm sure that that Laurentiis is taking all of these factors into consideration. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. I was adamant that there is absolutely no way he is going to leave Napoli to go to a place like Toronto. We know it's cold here. <laughs> We're both in Toronto. I still am very skeptical about that, if I'm being honest. I still think for whatever offer TFC can make, there are probably a number of European clubs that can match that offer that are still clubs outside of Italy and that he would be a lot more close to his family if he stayed in Europe, which I think is a big thing. 
whether he goes to Tonham, I, I don't buy it. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if these links are just because Inter were linked to Insignia last season and Conte was in charge last season, so Conte wants Insignia. I think he would get absolutely destroyed in the Premier League, if I'm being honest, just with the, the speed and, and the strength that they play with in that league. I, I don't think he would do terribly well there. I don't know if I agree because, you know, uh, just to play a counterpoint, Conte's Chelsea played that 3-4-3 with Hazard on the left. And Hazard and Insigne are actually quite similar players. They play a very similar role. And Insigne at his best, like Insigne from last season, the guy who can get, you know, 20 goals and, and 10 assists a year is a very similar player to me as Hazard was. The Insigne of this season, of course, not so much, but... It's not super far-fetched. I could see him going to Tottenham if that's, you know, somewhere. If he's going to leave and he doesn't want to come to Toronto, Tottenham are offering almost the same amount of money. He still gets to be in Europe, be with an Italian coach, be a protagonist in the World Cup. I I believe these links a lot more than I would have a few months ago. Not to say I'm confident in them, but, you know, I think like you're saying, it's a vicious cycle going on in his mind. His form, the, the links... He's probably not sure where he's going to be. And imagine you don't know where you're going to live in six months. You might live in the place you lived your whole life, or you might live in a country where you don't even know the language, where the weather's completely different. You got to maybe change your kid's school and this and that. These people are humans. They have families. You can't tell me that that doesn't affect now that the season's half over. He might be gone in a few months, you know, and he knows that basically in a year is the World Cup and he's going to, you know, want to have his stuff sorted out by then. Yeah, no, those are all great points. And I think you probably watch a lot more Premier League than than I do. So I, I trust your uh, your opinion on the 3-4-3. The other thing that's probably not helping his cause, if I'm being honest, is that Adam Unas had another strong performance. I thought he was our most creative player. If we're looking for other positive takeaways from this match, I mentioned Rachmani a few times. I thought David Ospina had a pretty solid performance. He looked very sharp to me. Thoughts on, on any of those players' performances, Unas, Rachmani, Ospina? Well, starting with Unas, I mean, I've, I've always liked Unas. I'm, I've been, you know, very happy that we held on to him this year. I think, you know, we really need him. And he can be uh, almost an heir to Mertens, in my opinion. I think he has some similar qualities to a younger Mertens, although I don't li- like him as much on the wing as I do central. But he cuts in when he plays on the wing anyway. So, I mean, he, he's a great player. The problem with Unas, actually, this year has been he's been injury prone for a young guy. And, and throughout his career, he's been slightly injury prone. So that's the one thing I worry about with him is for such a young uh, player, you would think that, you know, he can play every week. He's in his early 20s. But yeah, hopefully, you know, the injury talk as far as a whole squad, we can get into later on. But that's my one worry with Unas. I, I hope he can keep himself physically consistent because if he can, I think he can slowly become more and more of a protagonist in this team, uh, regardless of Insigne staying or going, because the great thing about Unas is I think he can play anywhere across the front line, left, trecortista, right wing, or possibly even as a false nine. So Yeah, and I see I see him, regardless of where he lines up, he seems to interchange positions with his wingers or or with the number 10. Uh, so if he starts out wide, he tends to drift in. If he starts in the 10, he drifts wide. Um, so I think that's a, a slightly different dynamic than what you might get with a player like Zielinski, who pretty much stays in that that half space on the left side. What about uh, Rachmani and Ospina? Well, Ospina, I've been, you know, singing his praises for a while now. I think he's not only by far our best goalie, but I think he's a clear leader in this team where in the past we have lacked leaders. And so 
He's very vocal. He organizes the defense. I think the whole team feels confident with him there. He's great with the ball at his feet and under pressure. I think he's undroppable. And we have to absolutely sign this guy uh, to a long contract and keep him as our main goalie for a time to come. And regarding Rachmani, I mean, it's been unbelievable, his growth this season. He's mature. He's learning to play a little bit more of that modern style. Spalletti's been trying to get him to learn to get after those players fast. Don't always totally sit deep and play it safe. And I think he's adapting well to that style. Obviously, without Koulibaly next to him, you know, every player in the world is not going to be, you know, as solid without a guy like that next to him. But I thought that considering Koulibaly has been out for some time, I can see him trying to step up and be a little bit more of a leader than normal. Yeah, I thought he was really solid at the back. He's starting to make a lot of Koulibaly-like plays. Like you're seeing players will make runs and he'll come over and, and cover for them, slide tackles. He's getting forward a little bit more like Koulibaly likes to do, which is seems to be kind of a new phenomenon just around football in general, the center backs joining the attack now, which is interesting to to see that play out. With Ospina, I know you're not the biggest Alex Medet fan, but I completely agree. He's well ahead of Medet at this point. I thought he was really sharp. Even though Empoli had almost, as I think they had five shots on target and we had six, but I don't think he was really tested with many of those shots other than the goal. And But where he really stood out was the way he was kind of playing as a sweeper keeper. He made, I think, three plays where he came off his line twice to bail out Mario Rui. <laughs> One where, uh, where Mario Rui just got beat by the run and the other where he played a bit of a weak pass back. And then there was a play in the second half with a long ball that got behind our center backs. And I don't think Meret has the confidence to make these types of plays to, to be that sharp, that quick off his line and that confident to come that far off his line and clear the ball out. So I thought that was a, a really solid performance from Ospina. I mentioned Zielinski. Let me give you a quick update for his situation. He walked off the pitch in the 22nd minute holding his chest. That got a lot of people talking about similar cases we've seen around Europe. We had Sergio Aguero, who just retired from football. Manchester United defender Victor Lindelorf had a similar problem on Saturday playing against Norwich City. On Sunday, a number of Manchester United players and staff tested positive for COVID, but the club issued a statement indicating that they don't believe the two to be related Back in November, Sheffield United midfielder John Fleck passed out during a match against Reading. So this has become a bit of a trend. According to Gazzetta dello Sport, Zielinski has symptoms of bronchitis and he's going to be monitored day to day. And they're saying that he's not going to play for the rest of the calendar year. The club hasn't really given... I don't know where Gazzetta is getting this information, so I I can't say whether or not it's reliable because... All the club said, officially at least, was on Tuesday's training report, they said that he did not train for a tracheitis phenomenon, which I might have to call our friend Carm from Napoli Club Toronto to figure out what that means. It sounds like it's just an issue with his trachea, sore throat, a lot of coughing, and that makes it difficult to breathe. But I'm sure they're going to test him pretty regularly. Fabian Ruiz was not in training on Tuesday with the flu, so hopefully that's not COVID-related. I think that's the big concern right now. It's sort of running rampant again in Europe. There's talks about, in England, closing stadiums and things like that. Alessandro Zanoli tested negative, so he's finally able to rejoin the team. So that was a bit of a, a positive note. He rejoined the team after completing his COVID protocols on Tuesday. So that will do for part two. In part three, we'll talk about what this result means in terms of Napoli's chances of winning the Scudetto. 
Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. So let's talk about Napoli Scudetto hopes. With the loss, we've now dropped to fourth in the table. We're four points behind Inter, who beat Cagliari, three points behind Milan, who drew against Udinese, and one point behind Atalanta. They beat Hellas Verona. We're only six points clear of Fiorentina, so even that fourth place position is not totally secured anymore, and we're eight points clear of Roma and Juventus. Vincenzo, given that we're four points back, given all the injuries we have, and given that we're more than likely going to lose Osimhen, Angisa, Unas, and Koulibaly for the Africa Cup of Nations, do you think the Scudetto is still a realistic target? It's not impossible because numerically we're not far behind. We're right there. But the fact that we have all these absences right now, and then we know that they might make it back for one game, and then four of our of those players, three of whom are the spine of our team, and Osimhen, Angisa, and Koulibaly are potentially out for a whole other month. It's hard for me to feel confident, given that we've shown that there's two Napolis. There's healthy Napoli, where we basically are the best team in the league by far, and we don't concede any goals. And then there's the Napoli that are unhealthy and we basically lose like every other game and, or drop points. And so if we're going to be the unhealthy Napoli or the Napoli with many absences, then it's hard to feel confident that we can win the Scudetto. And I think right now we went into the season feeling like top four was the goal, especially being out of Champions League for two years in a row. And then with the start we had, it was like, okay, now, now the goal has shifted. Now like we're... Scudetto favorites it to a lot of people, right? And then now, it, you know, it's it's now going back to the original goal, which is what I think we need to just focus on getting that top four spot and then building from there. Now, obviously, take every game to win it and, you know, have faith in the team, stay close to the team. At the end of the season, three, four games left, if we're, you know, within a shooting distance, if, we, if we're, we're still, you know, under six points behind with a month or five weeks left to go, then it's all to play for. But until we reach that point, I think we just need to take it one game at a time and and not uh, have too high hopes. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I'd say we're not quite out of it just yet. A four-point deficit could definitely be overcome. Before this match, I would have been pretty happy to take seven points from the Empoli, Milan, and Spezia games. And I would have probably even settled for six points. That was based on the assumption that we beat Empoli and Spezia and either draw or hopefully not lose to Milan at the San Siro. So what this means for me is we definitely can't lose to Milan now. I'd still be okay with a draw, I think, given that we're playing away from home. I'm going to do a separate preview on the Milan match, but they also have an injury crisis. So, you know, it's not completely out of the question that we could even win that match. Inter is definitely the team to chase now, but as some people have pointed out, they have a very difficult schedule at the start of the new year. Their first match back is against Bologna, which they're probably going to win, but Bologna have been actually pretty good this year, so who knows. Then they have Lazio three days later, Juventus in the Supercoppa three days after that, and then Atalanta three days after that match. Then they play Venezia before the international break, and then when they get back, they play Milan, then us, then Liverpool in the Champions League, and then Sassuolo. So I think that's obviously going to be a key period where I think if Inter come out of that stretch, having won most of those games, it'll be very, very difficult for us to catch them just because we have a stretch of games later in the season where we have another one of these, these runs where we play a lot of good teams in a short period of time. 
So hopefully we can close the gap on them. And then we still need to get some results during that tough stretch. If you don't beat the top teams, then chances are you're not going to win the Scudetto, right? Now, you had an interesting tweet that created some really good dialogue that I wanted to chat with you a little bit. You said three defeats in the last five games since the injuries began to pile up. Spalletti, who has done a great job so far, struggling to get points without Osman, Fabian, Koulibaly, etc. Reminds me of last year under Gattuso. Now, I'm pretty sure that wasn't a suggestion that we shouldn't have fired Gattuso, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, I, we've been over the Gattuso thing before, but the point I'm trying to make is that even if Spalletti's a step up on Gattuso, the guy's not a miracle worker. If we have all of our best players out, or, or any team, if you take Inter, you take out seven of their best 11, you're telling me they're going to be the same? They're not. The only you know comparison I'll make is just, if you want to really judge the, the two coaches, judge them how they perform now when they both have nobody for a big stretch of time. Because to compare Spalletti in the first 10 games where we have a full healthy squad and the addition of Angisa, who was not there last year and Bakayoko was, and comparing it to last year when Gattuso had a huge chunk of the season where there's, our only striker was Petania, it's not really a fair comparison. But that being said, I still am happy with the Spalletti appointment. He's done a phenomenal job. Uh, the root problem seems to be that last season and this season now, we've had an incredibly unfortunate injury crisis where it's so many players out at the same time, often in the same position, and it almost seems too bad to be true. And last season, you know, you could say, okay, this is an anomaly. It's COVID. Every three days we're playing. It was a very strange season. Okay. But this season now, I think there's a pattern here going on, and we need to get to the bottom of this because right now, Napoli and Milan were the form teams. We have a lot of injuries. They have a lot of injuries. And now Inter, they don't have that many injuries and they're doing well. And I think really that is the difference between all these teams right now is just who's going to stay the most healthy. Well, we got a big clue as to what might be going on today. There's a, a video going viral on social media, at least among Napoli Twitter of Angisa doing sort of alternating bicep curls. And it was horrible form. And it makes you wonder if if his form on such a simple exercise is so bad, what else is going on around there? And is that contributing to all these injuries? Because that's, you know, you look at Inter's success over the last season and a half, and they've had very few injuries. They, yeah, occasionally Lautaro or, or Lukaku last season missed some games, but for the most part, they were able to stay healthy. And that's been really important for them. I think it was the right decision to move on from Gattuso, but I think he was probably too harshly criticized. I mean, technically, we didn't lose a single game in the final 15 rounds of the season. The Juve game was sort of mixed in there, but that was match day three. And we only dropped eight points in that stretch. The rest were wins. So Gattuso actually did pretty well. I think the difference, though, is, well, one, in the way he handled the media. I mean, Spalletti is an absolute pro when it comes to dealing with the media. You can't face him, whereas Gattuso is just, hard on his sleeve, open, speak his mind type of guy. And that didn't really go that well. The other thing is that I feel like even though we're going through a similar stretch of poor results, actually probably an even worse stretch this season with one win in, in our last six, whereas I think our worst stretch last season was one win in five. It just feels like we're playing better. And I know at the end of the day, results are all that matter. But I think as fans, at least it gives us more confidence in what this team is capable of, even with our reserve players. 
Yeah, I, I see that point. I can kind of see both sides. Part of me sees that, yeah, okay, we, we've played a bit better. But at the end of the day, if we're not getting the points, then, you know, you could say, oh, it's, it's, it's a little bit easier on the eyes, but we're still losing. I don't know. The Empoli game was not that easy on the eyes for me. I mean, if it was Gattuso on the bench and we had that performance against Empoli, the tweets about Gattuso would be so negative. And now with Spalletti, no one dares to question him. And, and again, I, I like Spalletti. I'm happy with him, but I just feel that a lot of it is perception. You know, people think Gattuso's dumb. He doesn't know what he's doing. So when Napoli played bad, it's Gattuso's fault. Now, because Spalletti is this genius, if Napoli played bad, it's not Spalletti's fault. Oh, he, was up, he wasn't there on the sideline. It's like, okay, I kind of see what you're saying. But at the same time, you know, it's not really fair. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I should correct myself. I should say that. I think it was more understandable for the matches against Atalanta, who we know is an excellent team. Even Sassuolo, I mean, to give up a two-goal lead, that's a tough pill to swallow. Those matches were a lot easier to accept. The Empoli one, this one, I, I agree. I think Spalletti or Gattuso, regardless, you got to find a way to, to win this match. Especially at home. Especially at home, exactly. All right, before we wrap it up, I want to shift away from football for a second. Now, you've mentioned previously on the podcast that you're a movie director, and earlier today you had the opportunity to go to a screening of The Hand of God. First, if you can tell the listeners what the movie is about, and then given that this is your area of expertise, uh, I'm curious to know what you thought about the movie. Sure. Well, I'll start by just saying, you know, Paolo Sorrentino, who's the writer and director of this film, is one of Italy's foremost uh, film writer and directors right now for the last 10 years. He is the last person to win Italy a foreign film Oscar for his film La Grande Bellezza, The Great Beauty, which came out a few years back. He's a, an incredibly talented director. And if you know, I encourage everyone, if you haven't seen his other films, to, to go seek them out. He is uh, Napolitan, born and raised, and he moved to Rome uh, you know, in his late teens to pursue a film career, which obviously worked out well. But this movie, The Hand of God, is him getting back to his roots. It's almost an autobiography of him. It's a coming-of-age story about a young, sort of uh, geeky, Napolitan kid and his family living in an apartment in the mid-80s. The background is, you know, the rumors of Maradona possibly coming. And, oh, no, they're gonna, he's going to go to Juventus. He's talked to Agnelli, this and that. And they're all hoping for Maradona to arrive. And, you know, over the course of the film, you know, Maradona arrives and sort of, not Maradona and Napoli as a team are kind of like uh, hanging over the whole film. It's not the subject matter of the film, but it's a passion of the characters and it kind of inflects part of the world. But it's really just about the trials and tribulations of this, this young boy and his family and growing up and coming to terms with the, the hard facts of life and sexuality, all, all of the things that you go through in, the, in those years. And it was a very moving film very much character driven. You know, this is not the kind of film if you want to see, you know, Spider-Man type of movie with explosions and fast, intricate plots. This is not that kind of a movie. This is a movie where you're experiencing the world and Napoli and it's it's just beautiful. It's poetic. There are times where I was absolutely just crying with laughter. And there's times where I was, you know, holding back tears of of sadness. It's very emotional film. Obviously we we Napoli fans and Napolitans have maybe even more of a special connection to it. But um just an incredible film. I urge everyone to to watch it and and uh, start a discussion, sharing the thoughts, everyone's thoughts about it. 
Awesome. And if I'm not mistaken, that's going to be available on Netflix very soon, right? By the time this podcast comes out, I believe it'll be up on Netflix. Of course, you know, not everyone will have the opportunity to see it on a big screen, which was incredible. But if not, uh, make an event out of it at your home and and watch the film and and let it uh, wash over you because it's it's quite an experience. And uh, I will say just this is a non-spoiler. Spoil- <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a spoiler, but I'll just say there's a moment in the film where they find out that Maradona is going to come to Napoli. And I won't discuss how that's revealed, but it's just one of the most absolutely hilarious and original ways that you would imagine people, them finding out about a Maradona signing uh, that I could never uh, have thought of. That's how it was going to be. And it's just, it's a very cool moment. I think that once everyone uh, watches the film, they're going to know what I mean. That's a great way to, to leave it. We'll leave it on a bit of a cliffhanger there. And if, uh, if people don't watch it right away, it's something to, to keep you occupied during the, the winter break. You can watch it a couple more times then. Vincenzo, we're going to leave it there, but thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with me tonight. Thanks to you, Joe. It's always a pleasure. You can find Vincenzo on Twitter at Vinbertillo. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. I should have a couple of episodes out later this week. One to review our latest Primavera and Feminile matches. And another to preview the big match at the weekend against Milan. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.